everyone and welcome to episode 89 of the History Hotline. My name is Deanna Lynn Cook and as always I'll be your host today. Today's episode forms a part two of stories about the West Indian Regiment and we're thinking about the 8th West Indian Regiment in particular who had a mutiny in 1802 in Prince Rupert's port in Dominica. Um, We're going to be speaking about the mutiny, why it happened, a timeline of events and then the aftermath and outcome of said mutiny. This episode follows directly on from episode 88 which came out two weeks ago, sorry about that, Um, and it kind of would make sense if you went back and listened if you hadn't already listened to the first episode about the West Indian Regiment where I discuss all of the kind of origins of the regiment, why it was founded, some of the pushback um, and the opposition from slave owners in the Caribbean against the regiment and why they didn't want something like that to exist. Um, And then some of the kind of material conditions, working conditions and pay that the members, the soldiers within the West Indian Regiment would have had to face. So I would go back to 88 if you haven't already listened to it, Um, but if you have, then, well, welcome to episode 89 and the 8th West Indian Regiment Mutiny. So, the 8th West Indian Regiment was formed in 1798, and it was made up of 14 white officers, 21 black sergeants, and 475 black privates. 80 of the 475 um, were men that were recently purchased from slave ships and had just joined the regiment. Um, And it was kind of in this moment with this mutiny that the fears of armed black men, of armed African men, of armed formerly kidnapped and enslaved men were to be realised, giving them weapons and the impact of that. Um, all came to life and everything that we discussed in regards to the opposition from um, some of the planters and slave owners in the Caribbean kind of came to pass in this moment but you know it wasn't really this is not me saying you know they were like I told you so Um, there were other many other kind of factors and conditions that contributed to the mutiny Um, it was actually one of the largest historically um, and mutinies were quite common at this time so you know don't take this as kind of an isolated incident um mutinies within armed forces were quite common and happened quite regularly now the revolutionary and the napoleonic wars um at the time were leading to a shortage of white soldiers um because they had obviously gone off to fight in different parts of the world um and Prince Rupert was a fort in Dominica where this 8th uh, West Indian Regiment were based. But another problem with this fort was that it was kind of, um, its headland connected with the island through swampland. So it meant that a lot of diseases spread through mosquitoes, which obviously breed in water, and the swampland was the perfect place for them to breed, which meant there were a lot of tropical diseases that some of the European, the white soldiers, were not accustomed to and it meant their mortality rates were really high. Um, It was said that one in 10 white soldiers would die from tropical diseases, whereas one in 22 uh, African soldiers would die from tropical diseases. And so that's like, you know, they're twice as likely to survive African soldiers than their white counterparts. So it meant that there was a demand for African soldiers to fight and be part of this regiment as opposed to white soldiers whose, um, you know, their time there was, was quite brief because of, of the illnesses that were coming about. 
Um, and so that kind of meant that this uh, regiment, as I mentioned, had a lot of black privates. Um, and as you can probably imagine, those at the top of the pecking order in this regiment were the white officers, the 14 white officers, over 21 black sergeants and 475 black privates. So as we can kind of imagine, um, nothing really new when it comes to the Caribbean and, and slave society at the time. There are few white um, elites, shall we say, in high positions of power, um, even within the army, and then black people in a kind of subservient position to them. Although, you know, they were all paid people within the West Indian Regiment, um, but it was still the case that there was a hierarchy that was racial, um, and that can't really be denied for this regiment. So, the timeline of events of Friday the 9th of April, 1802. So, things began when a large portion of men woke up and rose against their officers, killing five Officers, some of the other white officers, they fled and went to get help. Um, and so in that time, the mutineers had full control of the fort of Prince Rupert. Now, there was a man called Governor Alexander Cochrane Johnston. Um, and he found out he's a governor of Dominica at that time. Um, and he finds out and obviously sends white troops uh, from Rousseau to get there and fight. Um, obviously, this takes a few days um, and they arrive on the Sunday, the 11th. Um, by Monday, the mutineers agreed um, and kind of decide to come to kind of a point of agreement to discuss the situation with Governor Johnston. Um, and so there's a moment where they all face off um, and Governor Johnston says, lay down your weapons. Um, and some did, but some didn't, um, which is probably the, the issue here, um, as they were supposed to be, you know, discussing um, a plan to move forwards from the things that, you know, had gone wrong with the regiment and they were dissatisfied with. Um, however, a shot went out um, and the white troops opened fire on the mutineers um, and eventually kind of winning that little battle of those who still had their guns to hand. Um, and they captured all the mutineers um, and all of the other kind of black officers, the black privates, really, that were around. Now, you know, that's just a rundown of events. We haven't got into the why, and the why is the important part, but I thought I'd kind of just give you the actual mutiny in itself. Um, and it's not really... When I hear the word mutiny, I always think it's going to be like a big battle. It's going to be explosive. It's going to be crazy. And, you know, obviously, whilst I just described that, it probably didn't sound as if it was explosive or something out of like a movie scene. Um, but as I mentioned, mutinies were quite common. And so they weren't all, you know, really big and dramatic, for want of a better word. Um, you know, they were sometimes just the mutineers deciding to try and take over the fort um, for better conditions or to resolve the situation that they felt that needed resolving. So, why did this all happen? So, I mentioned a man called Governor Johnston. Now, he's Governor of Dominica, put in place by Britain, um, and essentially is um, a British man. And he owned land next to Prince Rupert's um, fort. So... Remember I mentioned there was swampland kind of in the headland connecting the fort to the rest of the island while well, he owned the land over the other side. And so you can imagine it was in his interests for that land to be, should we say, habitable, fertile, easy to work on, clean, clear. Um, but as I mentioned, there's swampland very, very close to it. 
Um, and so what he decided to do, which essentially started the problem, um, was that he wanted the swamp lands cleared. Now, he didn't say this was for, for him to be able to, to use his land that he owned. You know, it was just an order for the, in, the West Indian Regiment, the 8th one, um, to clear this land. And so they had to do that work. Um, they were poorly paid for that work. And they're also soldiers. They are not enslaved people. And that was their kind of gripe. The fact that they weren't being paid properly for their work. And the fact that, you know, this was the work of enslaved people. And they definitely saw themselves as, maybe not superior per se, but of a different status, of a higher status. Um, and they were paid workers um, and not supposed to be doing labour in this sense. But it was very common for black people in armed forces to be given the tasks of labouring work, heavy, laborious, you know, physical work, whereas it would be the white um, officers in charge that would be, you know, doing like paperwork or administrative tasks and um, not actually doing any physical labouring, which was the hard work, the sweat, the toil. Um, and so they were really kind of upset about this. Um, and the job that they had to do was to dig drainage channels in the swamp. Um, and this was not something that soldiers would do. This is menial labour. Um, and, you know, they were really unhappy with it. They were poorly paid, but this was actually an even bigger issue because on record, actually, money was sent for their wages, the money they were supposed to get. However, it was not reaching them. By the time they'd get to the day where they were being paid with their cash in hand, they were not given the amount of money that they had taken up the role of work for because it was being siphoned off before it reached them. Now, who was siphoning it off? Well, hmm, can we guess? <laughs> Maybe it was the same man whose interests were kind of at the forefront of this menial, laborious work that was being done. Um, there was also whispers around that the regiment was soon to be disbanded and that the black... Um, privates and soldiers were going to be sold into slavery and as I said they see themselves in higher status and higher regard than enslaved people so the the thought of being sold in slavery in the Caribbean working on a plantation in a house it was obviously not something that they wanted to do and so this kind of discontent about the work that they were doing the fear that they might be sold into slavery led them to rise up a mutiny and to kind of go up against um, the white officers that they felt were responsible for this um, kind of situation that was happening. Um, and so that was kind of, you know, the reason for it. Fear, um, discontent and upset about the situation they were in. Now, interestingly enough, we know about this mutiny due to colonial records um, and war office records that are held um, in part in the National Archives and in other archives. Um, and there's an article written in the Jamaica Historical Review by Roger N. Buckley called Black Man, the Mutiny of the 8th British West Indian Regiment. And I wanted to share some of the extracts in that that kind of further explain um, the mutiny, some of the fears and issues, um, and also some of the issues in terms of actually recording this history um, and what we actually have left to piece together this part of the story when it comes to this uh, mutiny in 1802. And the extract reads, as with the other West Indian regiments, the 8th was a subject of bitter colonial criticism which was unwarranted. Arriving at English Harbour Antigua from Dominica in December 1798, this corpse was greeted with vituperative barrage from the Assembly and Council. 
According to several hysterically written petitions, the sending of this, quote, mischievous corpse of, quote, barbarous, uncivilised and dangerous, obnoxious people was an abominable evil. The reason for this calculated hysteria was not necessarily due to the arming of blacks per se. On the contrary, it was the universal practice in West Indian warfare to raise temporary or ad hoc units of armed slaves during periods of crisis. White West Indians were more opposed to the relatively large numbers of well-trained and armed blacks who were to constitute a permanent part of the entire British garrison in the West Indies. The original establishment of these corps were called for a considerable force of about 9,000 troops. Also, if the universal practice of emancipating slaves who had distinguished themselves in battle was continued, there would be the serious question of disbandment at the conclusion of the war. In St. Domingo, Haiti, where 2,620 slaves were seduced into British military service between September 1794 and July 1795, with the promise of freedom after five years of military service. The British commander saw no need to worry over this method of recruitment. Instead, he assured his superiors in London that at the termination of their period of service, few blacks would, and I quote, be alive to partake of the terms now offered them. So as you can kind of take from that extract was this issue of the problem people had with the regiments uh, in the West Indies and the idea that they, a lot of the time they were temporary and ad hoc and they would kind of, you know, everybody in the um, armed part of it would be armed. They were black, um, obviously, they mentioned here that this wasn't the main issue, but the fact that once this, um, the need for this regiment was done with, um, they would be disbanded and where would they go? And the um, conversation um, that I quoted from at the end was said, you know, these these people won't be alive um, once it's disbanded. They won't make it. Um, these African men will not, they won't survive um, their time in service, which actually in reality was not the case. And they did survive their time in service um, and some of the regiments uh, in the West Indies were kind of disbanded and soldiers were sent to other Caribbean islands or they were sent back to Africa, Sierra Leone in particular. Um, so it's quite interesting there that the issue was kind of, well, what happens to these people you've armed after they're not needed anymore? It shows how disposable they were um, and that the fact that, you know, as I've mentioned, um, the issue was arming black people, that wasn't the, the major issue it was what happens after to these formerly armed black people. Um, but again, one of the reasons that there was so much fear in the black soldiers' mind because they knew that these um, regiments were often disbanded quite quickly or created quite quickly. Um, and once they weren't needed anymore, um, you know, where would they go back into enslavement? That was the worry. And so, again, one of the, uh, the fears and the issues uh, with these, these types of regiment at the time. Now, in regards to the kind of recording of this history, um, the outcome of the mutiny is where we get the most information from. Um, Governor Johnston is recalled to England um, after he loses his post in Dominica. Um, so that's kind of a positive out of this story. Um, and, you know, there were... The regiment was actually disbanded. However, the soldiers that weren't killed or tried or imprisoned or executed following 
the mutiny were restationed into the 1st, 3rd and 4th Regiment um, in other parts of the Caribbean. So their kind of military service and their time um, as soldiers didn't end for those that were found innocent of being part of the mutiny and organising it. Um, the only record we have of West Indian soldiers is in their testimonies of when mutinies like this occur. Um, it's the only time they're named and voiced in literally the whole of history because as I mentioned last um, episode the pictures and paintings we have they're not even of named soldiers it's just oh black soldier from West Indian Regiment the 8th West Indian Regiment the 6th the 5th whatever it was um but in this case uh when they had the inquiry done in regards to the mutiny 25 uh, mutineers were interrogated however only 17 of those were recorded um, as some were declared uh, inconsequential. So again, going back to um, Buckley's um, article, um, and to quote again some of the kind of proceedings in this board of inquiry, um, and it was said some 25 black soldiers were interrogated, which I mentioned, and only 17 declarations were recorded. Now, from the identification of the witnesses when provided, the 8th West Indian Regiment was an amalgam of mainly African soldiers and Creoles, both English and French speaking. Regrettably, the testimony was not recorded verbatim. The answers to questions put by the Board of Inquiry were either roughly synopsized translations into English if the witnesses were African or French speaking soldiers, or paraphrased if the witnesses were English speaking Creoles. What remains is rather lifeless prose much particularly African linguistic and Creole pidgin and patois expressions, which were the lingua franca of these troops, was lost in the translation and transcription. The loss deprives us of a more personal insight into the feelings of once desperate men, although this casualty encumbers efforts to ascertain the linguistic slash regional origins of the African-born soldiers of the 8th, since the description and succession books of the 8th apparently have not survived. These invaluable records, when completed according to War Office regulations, contained a description which frequently included um, secretaries of each recruit, his age, place of birth, occupation and service record. Succession lists and some service returns of the officers were also included. Nonetheless, the testimonies are unique. I think this explanation hurts my heart a little bit because it was, you know, the case that you have African soldiers um, of French-speaking origins, speaking Pidgin, Creole, Patois, and, you know, no time at all was taken to actually properly translate what they were saying, to transcribe what they were saying, to, to hold on to their stories and their narratives. We lose so much in expression. We lose so much in the personal insight, as um, it was said in the article, and the feelings of these men who were so desperate not to see themselves enslaved, not to see their regiment disbanded, not to be doing the menial, laborious work that they were having to do. Um, but we lose all that, even though their records, their stories are actually written down in in part, you know, the 17 of them. But we still don't have that. Um, it's really frustrating, um, but it is just, you know, the way things are. And we can take so much from that kind of... Um, bias against um, people speaking different languages we can take so much from the fact that their stories weren't recorded even though we lose so much in that process as well um, it is a very regrettable um, kind of story when we think about it of how much more we could take out of the story um, of the 8th West Indian Regiment mutiny in 1802 
And that was the story of the 8th West Indian Regiment mutiny um, in Dominica at Prince Rupert's port. Um, and whilst the story is is quite a brief one, I think we can take so much about, you know, historical records in this story. We can take so much about the kind of makeup as well of those African soldiers that weren't just, um, you know, coming from one, one part of Africa speaking different languages um, and the way that language as well was kind of being created in the Caribbean as a mix of of pidgin, of creole, of English, of French, of other native um, languages to the continent of Africa Um, and you know the fact that there was so much discontent within this one regiment in regards to their future and what was occurring and these were patterns that could be seen um, across other West Indian regiments in the Caribbean as well so it's just an interesting kind of story that epitomizes the treatment of some of the um, black privates, black officers, black soldiers um, within this story and this time period so I hope you've enjoyed this episode today thank you so much for listening um, and please tune in next week for more Thank you for listening to the History Hotline. If you've enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend to tell a friend. To continue the conversation about black history, head over to our social media platforms at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter.